Creative Brain Candy by Creators for Creators. You're listening to Simply Stogies, a podcast dedicated to the cigar enthusiast. Light up a stogie, sit back, relax, while James brings you along on his cigar journey. Simply Stogies will review cigars, discuss topics that cigar aficionados find important, sit down with guests from across the industry, and we'll probably learn a few things along the way. Now, here's your host of Simply Stogies, James. Welcome to Simply Stogies. I am your host, James. This episode, we're going to return to the Cuban sub-series, uh, and I am joined by my co-host for this series, Nick Sears, owner-founder, LH Cigars, Master Blender, although he hates that term, and that's why I like to use it with him. Nick, welcome back to the program. Thank you very much, James. Glad to be back on the Simply Stogies podcast. So today, we're going to kind of deviate from uh, what, this, what the plan was, because Nick, you just literally just got back from uh, Cuba. Yes, I did. After a two-year hiatus, I was really excited because I always said I love going to Cuba. It's become a part of me. Um, the only other, well, second most visited country for me outside of the U.S., and Keep in mind, I'm Greek, so I've made a lot of trips to Greece too. But you know, Cuba's my my uh, inherited or adopted secondary home. Uh, you you have a, a love and a passion for uh, the island and for the people who inhabit that island, and obviously for uh, for the cigars on the island as well. But uh, I, I, like I said before, you are a wealth of knowledge when it comes to Cuba, the Cuban people, uh, their heritage, their culture. Uh, their cigars, their history, everything. And so we're very thankful to have you on this uh, uh, sub-series this year and welcome you, uh, you know, and have you kind of on board as uh, Simply Stokey's uh, liaison to Cuba. Well, I appreciate that. I, I actually love talking about Cuba. You're absolutely right. You know, I fell in love with the country the first time I set foot uh, over 14 years ago. And people ask me, what is it about Cuba that you love so much? And the only, I can't put my finger on it. It's not something I can say it's because this, this, and this. Clearly, it's all about the cigar that has become my complete life, lifestyle, whatever you want to call it, my passion and my occupation, my avocation, every type of occasion uh, you can imagine. <laughs> that's what cigars are to me. And I enjoy it. And Cuba being the birthplace of cigars in general. Um, just, I feel at home when I'm there, believe it or not. Yeah, I can't, uh, I can't wait to uh, be able to visit there one day. That is certainly on the bucket list of things to do. But before we get to your trip, Nick, I want to invite our listeners to go to, uh, OxfordCigarCompany.com. Use coupon code simply stogies and receive 15% off your entire order. That's right. 15% off. It doesn't matter what's in your cart. Use coupon code simply stogies, receive 15% off only at OxfordCigarCompany.com. Hey, everyone. I'm John. I'm Andrew. And I'm Kevin. And we are the Video, Video Game, Game Lounge, Lounge Podcast. Podcast. What are you guys doing? You're supposed to do it together, Kevin. <laughs> Title of your sex, dude. All right, yes. This is the Video Game Lounge Podcast. Podcast not here for notes and news, but to talk games and drink brews. 
and join us every other Monday. Where we talk about what you're drinking, what you're playing, and most importantly, each episode we discuss games of past, present, and the involvement it may or may not have influenced us. Oh, that was quick. That's what she said. Got him. All right, Nick. Uh, so now that the seven minutes of advertisements that we have here at Simply Stoke is according to one, uh, a, a one-star review on Apple Podcasts. I'm not sure where the seven minutes came from, but now that that's over, uh, let's get into your, your Cuba trip. Uh, tell me, Nick, why did you go to Cuba this time? Because it seemed like you hadn't been there in a couple of years, obviously, uh, you know, COVID-19 and the coronavirus put a dampener on any travel that, uh, you know, most people had, but this uh, kind of came out of the right field or left field as, as the case may be. Well, it was something that was overdue for me to actually go there, but I kind of wanted to find the right time. And I can tell you folks now, now really is still not the right time. Uh, for the listeners that don't know, part of my life being cigars in Cuba, um, I started doing tours to Cuba through, I was um, the co-host of a, at the time was very popular radio show called the Smooth Draws Radio Show. It was on ESPN Radio and we had it on podcasts. We were listened to by many, many different countries and it was an interesting show. My co-host did pass away um, unexpectedly. I was asked to carry on the show. Um, Cigar Coop was a third co-host on that show for a while and you know uh he went on his on his own of course and he's got uh totally i don't know how many different podcasts that he's got but he's doing well and flourishing for me it was another hobby that i did not want to invest a lot of times i don't mind talking on the radio i don't mind talking about cigars but to invest the time and effort to do a podcast it's a lot of work guys for people that don't realize doing a podcast for the good ones anyway it's not just sitting down and talking on the mic, which is really all I like to do. So I never, I didn't like the work part aspect of it. And I was not shy to really say that um, because I do have a lot of irons in the fire. And another one that my co-host and dear friend who passed to Gary Layden, he said, uh, Nick, you have so much knowledge and experience on Cuba. That's how I actually got to be a part of that show was I started doing a segment on that show called Nick's Notebook, A Cigar Enthusiast Guide to Cuba. And uh, it was a seven-minute segment, which eventually he offered you know, me to be a co-host because of the you know, cigar knowledge, I assume, and uh, I guess the people that I know. But the thing that I wasn't expecting is from the, the podcast and the segment on Nick's Notebook, we had so many people, so many interested people calling, writing, um, emailing, whatever you want to call it. Um, writing in and saying, we want to go to Cuba with Nick. And and these segments were cool because I basically gave people tips, what to do, what to expect. And uh, I generally like helping people experience Cuba through my eyes and no better way than actually coming along with me. But because of the struggles and problems that I kind of like doing things very organized and I'm pretty meticulous about certain things. And with Cuba, organization does not go together. There's just something <laughs> about the Cuban people that they're just too laid back. And no matter how much preparation or thing you can, you know, anything you think you, you're ready for, 
I had to have a backup plan to the backup plan because is it, is it the island life kind of syndrome, Nick? Is it just like everything on on an island? Like, I mean, that's that's kind of the saying, right? If you're on an island, it's, it's laid back. Everything just kind of comes to you. You don't really force anything. Yeah, I would say it's definitely that, but they seem to understand business differently. They don't, you know, it's now a lot of businesses. I'm sure there's a lot of good business and I'm not here to disparage any Cubans, especially their business acumen, but uh, it was very frustrating. I'd have plans like, hey, okay, today we're going here. And then at lunch, we're going to go here. No matter how many times I doubled and triple checked, inevitably, I would go to the the, to the uh, restaurant and they would say, oh, was that today at noon? Oh, yeah, I got 16 people here. Uh, what? Oh, so what I learned is to kind of have a front guy that while we're at, let's say, an exhibit or at a museum, I have the next guy going over and making sure that the next thing. So, you know, you, you, you learn. Right. It was a lot of work. But ultimately, the reason I did it and continue to do it is because when I would see Cuba through somebody's eyes for the first time, I get the same thrill. And it's just an experience that if you haven't had, it's difficult to explain. Yes, it's like going back in time with the 50s and the old classic cars. Yes, the the construction, it is a place that time, you know, forgot and stood still. But in most ways, I explain it as it's like there is no other place on earth like Cuba because you know, it's been isolated thanks to the embargo. It's been, you know, under a uh, regime that, uh, of course, our government does not care for. It came from an even worse regime, in my opinion, with the Batista, who was just a ruthless dictator as well. So, you know, they've been under, you know, dictator rule for many, many years. And uh, they've been lacking of a lot of things and they've been struggling and continue to struggle. And now is the absolute worst time ever in Cuba. Um, I was very, I was very sad when I left this time. Usually, I'm happy, get to see all my friends, and there's so many people there. But the overall feeling of uh, melancholy, I, I can't describe it. I actually needed a couple of days to decompress from leaving there because. You know, you, you kind of, it kind of took a toll on me, and, and that's what I want to talk about. Yeah, no. So let's talk about. So you, how much time did you spend in Cuba this time? Well, this time I was there for seven days. My usual stays are generally four or five days. Okay, so you asked me what was my reason this time. Right. Uh, I started to tell you that you know about the tours that I used to do, and the reason um, I went this time was to kind of because I have people because part of my job is. Uh, you know, promote my own brand and my own cigar. So I visit a lot of cigar shops and inevitably every cigar shop uh, has a group of people and they love cigars and they either want to come down the tours to my factory in Costa Rica or on my Cuba tours. So it's something I like to provide. And I have people that are just lining up, throwing money at me. And I'm like, whoa, guys, wait, <laughs> it's not time yet. And they're like, we want to go uh, in two weeks. We want to go in I'm like, no, I have no idea what's going on there. I have not been there in two years, which has been an eternity for me because you have to understand I was there practically monthly for right. over 12 years. So to take a two year uh, break from that, um, it was different, you know, and 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 I, I expected things to be different and I expected things to change. But man, 
did it change? So the reason I went this time is because a gentleman contacted me who was a employee of the BBC. He happens to be an American, but uh, he worked for the BBC and he's on hiatus and he's writing a book. And it sounds like a very interesting book. It's going to be like 10 different chapters about cultures across the world in different countries that are, uh, I guess, going away. So he contacted me and he said, hey, Nick, you know, your name keeps coming. I didn't know who he was, uh, who he was. I never heard of him. And he said, look, your name keeps coming up everywhere I turn. People I talk to, uh, people are telling me you're the guy to talk to if, if, uh, if I want to talk to uh, Cuba um, and Habanos and all things cigar in Cuba. And I said, well, you know, I don't like to brag and I don't like to um, say I'm an expert at anything, but if there's one thing I do happen to know a thing or two about, I would say it's Cuba from just the sheer amount of visits I've been there. Uh, that alone should, should give me <laughs> enough uh, enough time there. So uh, he asked me, his plan was in his book, and I, I want to read this little blurb that he wrote, and this kind of explains what he does. His whole thing is about the lectors of Cuba, and that's the cigar readers. So uh, his name is Elliot Stein, and he is a U.S. journalist, and he worked for the BBC, currently on hiatus, writing this book. Um, and he's not a cigar smoker, I will say that. So he's a different view, and it was interesting going to Cuba with somebody that really had no, I shouldn't say didn't have any interest in cigars, because he was fascinated by the whole the whole story, but he does. he's not a smoker. So he wrote this little blurb for them to use uh, because he was asked. And it's a, it basically is this. The cigar factory reader holds a revered place in the heart of Cuba's many tobacco workers. And it was a wonder to witness how this age-old tradition still lingers on during my recent trip to the island. Part journalist, part teacher, the lector is 100% a Cuban custom that has survived for more than 150 years and inspired some of the world's most recognizable hand-rolled Habano. From the farmers to the leaf sorters to the strippers and to the rollers, there are so many people involved in the creation of each cigar. But for me, the role of the reader and the artistic flourishes that he or she may inspire is the most enchanting part of a cigar's journey. That's a statement from Elliot Stein, and it kind of sums up basically what a lector or cigar reader does. Now, I will say that after seven days and 11 different interviews with various retired and current lectors in Cuba, I happen to know now way more than I need to about lectors <laughs> and the whole history. Uh, it was fascinating, but like I said, it was it was a lot, and I think for uh, Elliot's book and how he's going to portray it, I think would be a nice story because it is something that uh, any way you slice it and dice, it doesn't seem to have the same um, emphasis as it did. But in some ways, it's different. I described it in uh, my words were like, well, in a nutshell, the lector is like the mother hen because it seems to be more women than men doing it now of a cigar factory. You know, you have 100, 150 rollers in some of the larger you know, gallerias or cigar uh, cigar floors in, in Cuba, and the lector becomes their friend, confident, uh, confidant, um, um, psychologist, teacher. They they have a very important role, and um, you don't really realize it. You know, they read four times a day, but I'm not going to go into the whole history of that. I'll let Elliot if he ever decides to come on the show. What I want to talk about is why I was there. 
which was not really that. I mean, that was why I was contracted to go there with Elliot and and do the thing and show him around and get in touch with these people. But really, it was to kind of get a barometer of what's going on in Cuba now. I mean, I keep tabs with my very, um, you know, large group of diverse friends from, you know, obviously somewhat all cigar, you know, related, but, uh, you know, all different parts from, you know, the Pinar del Rio region, from Havana and so forth. But to see it firsthand, it was uh, definitely eye-opening. Yeah, and, and I definitely, I want to get into that because I want to know exactly how COVID has changed uh, the landscape of Cuba. And I kind of want to find out how the people are doing after the crackdown, after they had their uh, their their protests last year. Uh, but before we get into all of that, I want to talk about kind of the process that you go through to get into Cuba. And I, know, I think we've touched on it a little bit on this sub-series, but I kind of really want to know about it because you have an interesting uh, experience. And for those of you who fly a lot, you may know what the what the SSSS means, right? Is that what it is? It's the four S's on your ticket. Uh, but for those of you who may not fly all of the time, this might come as a shock to, to you. But Nick, why don't you talk about your experience uh, getting down to Cuba this time? Okay, we'll go from leaving and we'll go backwards. Um, the SSS is the dreaded you know, letters that are printed on your boarding pass, which both times it's happened to me in Cuba, I didn't happen to look down and see it. And then it's like, wait a minute, why am I being pulled out of line? Why am I over here? And it supposedly is something that the airline actually has a random thing that triggers it. And so many passengers, I don't know what in quotes, random in quotes. Exactly. I I don't know what the, I mean, I don't know enough about it other than it's happened to me more often than, than it should have been. And I go and I crack up because I even tell them when they're doing this crazy thing, I'm like, yeah, random my butt. You know, it's like, (laughs) why me? So when I got that, I was pulled to the side. And basically it's it's not just for Cuba. It's any country that you happen to travel to internationally where they do a more uh, stringent um, set of customs, a more robust search, so to speak, more robust search. Generally, in other countries, it only maybe entails where they'll rub that little thing on your bag, on your back, bottom of your shoes and your hands to see if you have you know, explosive material on your hands or, or things like that. In Cuba, it entails going through everything with a fine tooth comb. I mean, they went through everything that I had inside and in front of the world to see, you know, mind you, they're going through your bag. This is carry on anyway, your bags, your clothes, uh, your wallets, uh, everything. And, you know, what's this? And they're, and they're, they're like, took my computer apart they're, And they're, of course, they're wiping it for, you know, this residual uh, explosive thing that they're supposed to be checking for, but they're really looking for anything they can find. Now, mind you, I had nothing that I was afraid for them to find. So I wasn't worried, but it was kind of embarrassing. And then after all said and done, and they go through and they give you a pile of crap and you got to put your stuff back together because they can't put it back together. Right. Um, then before you were done, no, no, no. Then they made me stand. This is the first time I've had to do this. They make me stand in front of a large machine that clearly on the side in like, as if it was proud, bold letters that we have made in the USA, it said made in China. And I'm like, oh, great. And it was some kind of, I don't know, x-ray machine. Yeah. Picture a wall that was, you know, I don't know, 10 feet 
wide by 10 feet tall. And a little plat- yeah. And a platform you stand on. It's a one-sided wall and it tells you how you have to place your hands uh, up and down, kind of like robotic looking in a, in a 90 degree angle. Um, and it made me do, okay, so that's okay. You're doing your hands up, your hands down. Then it had me do these lunges where I'm literally <laughs> stretching with my arms extended. And I'm, I feel like, you know, I should be throwing a javelin and st- And it's like, and people are looking at me and Elliot's lo- is laughing. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. Okay. Do this side lunge forward, stretch your back leg left and the front leg. Left. And, and I'm like, what is going on? So I remember telling my <laughs> wife afterwards and she was, oh, you should have opted out. I go, yeah, let's, this isn't the US. And I had a feeling if I was going to opt out, I'd be something of a, of a cavity search would probably been the next step because well, it was definitely an x-ray machine of sorts, you know? Well, let me ask you this. Is this the first time that you've gotten the triple S's? Uh, no. Leaving no. Cuba. No. Okay. No, this is not. This was... This machine was the first time they, the last time they did the same, went through everything with a fine tooth comb that the first time what was even worse was I didn't see it. Apparently nobody at customs saw it. So I went through customs was at the gate, was waiting to board the airplane. And the, that the first time it happened was both of the times have been with American airlines. The first time was with Delta and this time it was with JetBlue. So the last time, the whole flight, I'm the last person to get on the plane. I was with a tour. I'm literally getting on the plane and the lady looks down and says, oh my God, you have the uh, the S's, you were selected. I'm like, what does that mean? What are you talking about? She goes, oh, you have to go back. You have to go back. And I'm like, are you kidding me? And they're like, no, no, we'll wait for you. Well, let's just say they didn't wait for me. And I ended up missing the flight. And uh, then they just leave you there like, okay, now you're on your own. I'm like, well, now I missed my flight. There was no other flights out. You have to literally collect your, they collect your visa when you go to the airport. So I had no visa to go back into Cuba. So I'm like, am I going to be like one of those movies, like Tom Hanks stuck in an airport for the next 24 hours? (laughs) And I'm asking for my visa and they're kind of ignoring me. And finally I get my visa and I spend another night, you know, at uh, my expense for them just detaining me. Sure. So, yeah, it was not a good experience. The airports there are not like other international airports, very um, basic in so many ways. The other thing I found kind of humorous is this time, uh, you know, you I had some pesos left over. So I'm like, oh, I can spend it at the airport. No, no, no. However, the only type of currency they take is foreign and they're looking for euros. And I'm like, okay, so in order to buy a coffee, I need to give you euros, which I didn't have. And Elliot did have some euros. And then, of course, they have no change in euros. So then they want to give you back change in pesos. And I'm like, well, you won't take pesos, but yet you're giving me change in pesos, (laughs) which I have no use to me right now. So that was also kind of funny. But yeah, the uh, the SSS, if you guys don't know about it, it can happen anywhere but I just find it a bit odd that it seems to happen to me more often than the average person. As someone who goes to Cuba or has gone to Cuba quite a a bit in the past, I can see the United States maybe doing that to you more randomly, quote unquote, than others. But I, I, I find it shocking that Cuba does it to you as well coming back. Yeah. On the U on the U S side, I have not gotten any, or I've never felt that I was, 
you know, unnecessarily over scrutinized than the average person. I mean, they ask you the the stock questions. Uh, do you have any food products? Have you purchased any alcohol or tobacco? And mind you folks, you know, that law has changed. So if people are wondering, you can no longer legally return with rum or cigars from Cuba legally. Now, mind you, you know, it's, it's, I don't know how severe of a penalty there would be, um, but it is technically, you know, trading with the enemy, part of the training with the enemy act. So I don't want to get busted and I've traveled so often and I don't need that on my right. uh, you know thing. So um, yeah, it is sad. So a lot of times, you know, when, during uh, when Obama changed the ruling until up until Trump changed it back, you could come back with as many cigars as you wanted, as long as it was for personal use. So Many, many people I know took very, very um, a good heaping uh, <laughs> took their fair share of, yeah, of Cuban, Cuban cigars. cigars. Yeah. So, right. yeah, that's one that was sadly uh, changed. Yeah. And we'll talk about that in an upcoming episode uh, here on the Cuban sub series where we talk about mod- modern Cuban cigars and the impact of communism and the U.S. embargo. So look forward to that episode coming up in the next a couple months, but uh, I want to get back to your trip to Cuba this time because we, you and I talked a little bit yesterday offline, and I, I was curious to kind of see what it was like, what's changed, and, and and the biggest takeaway that I had yesterday from from talking with you, and this is coming from a guy who loves Cuba, who loves the people, who loves the culture, who loves the history, uh, and obviously the cigars, but you said it was a shit show. And for somebody who has gone to Cuba as much as you have, and for somebody who loves Cuba as much as you do, Nick, for you to say that it had to, number one, it had to have kind of stung a little bit. Uh, uh, But number two, like it must've really been a shit show. So what was like, what was your big takeaway this time? What were some of the things you saw that were different than two years ago when you were going all of the time? And what's the difference in the people? I know that's a lot and we'll break it down, but kind of give us an overview. Well, um, the only word I can think of uh, or description was it was a shit show. And let me explain why. And this is what I wanted people to understand that have gone and want to know what it's like there now or want to go. Here's what it is. It's the perfect storm. It's the perfect formula. I call it the trifecta of everything that happened all at once that just made this place crazy. And here's here's what it is broken down. The first thing that happened prior to the pandemic, and they've been talking about it for years. I remember hearing about it for literally five years prior. They were saying they were going to change the currency. So the old currency was a two- uh, two-tiered currency. You had local pesos, which was the Cuban peso or CUP, C-U-P. Then they came up with the international or foreign currency called the C-U-C or the convertible Cuban peso. So the convertible CUC um, was based in U.S. dollars. So one CUC was theoretically equal to one U.S. dollar when you converted, but U.S. dollars were not taken anywhere. So you converted to a CUC and it was only a 3% you know, transaction fee. However, you know, Fidel Castro had 
also added a 10%, what I like to call the FU fee to <laughs> Americans because he wanted uh, somehow Americans to pay for all the damage they've done because of, as they call the bloqueo and has caused all this hardship for, for Cuba. So they want America and thusly Americans to pay for that. So for every US dollar that was uh, you know converted, 10% was taken right off the top. Uh, so you got 87 cents for every dollar. So that was the the only currency that I ever knew uh, because I the first time I went there was like 2008 and it was in play then and continued up until just before the pandemic. So it was within the last two years because when I left, let's just say I still had a couple kooks in my pocket that are worthless now. But <laughs> so they changed to this new system. And here's what the new system is. They wanted to get rid of this two tier and make it one system, and they made it the CUP. What it is, the CUP, I explained what 87 cents for every US dollar, but the CUP, which is what Cubans are paid in, what Cubans use to purchase stuff, that equaled 24 local pesos to a dollar. So 24 to one versus the one to one, where 100 to one for the, for the CUC. So they decided now that the CUP was going to be the only currency. So therefore, you know, they had to start making 500 and a thousand, and maybe they even have a 10,000 bill because, you know, it gets up there, but they never had those types of larger currency bills. And I only mentioned that because I remember seeing one before they were released and going, oh my God, they don't even have this bill yet. They're like, oh yeah, it's definitely happening. So this was something that was going to happen and the new president uh, implemented it. And just that fact alone made things very, very difficult. So let's say there was no inflation and prices were the same. That alone is enough to have your head scratching going, wait a minute, wait a minute. So now instead of it's this, it's that uh, 24 to one versus 100 to one. And But no, that's not enough. So because of the huge disparity between the the uh, currencies, they have this other system. And the other system is that basically things in Cuba are still really priced in US dollars. It's still the, you know, untalked about currency. Like there's certain countries and there's many of them out there that are tied directly to um, the US dollar. I can tell you for a fact, like for instance, Saudi Arabia, which I have a lot of experience with and, you know, from being over there, the currency is always 3.75 to one. So for every, you know, re, re, what are they? Riyadh, uh, I forgot what they even call it. I haven't been there in so long. Um, well, but for every one of their currency, one of the one of every for every one dollar, you got three point seven five of theirs. So there, yeah. apparently, there's a lot of other countries that are it's a fixed rate and it doesn't fluctuate like the euro fluctuates and all these other things and can get stronger or weaker against our dollar. Uh, this is fixed the dollar, so you know what it's going to be always. Like I know in Costa Rica. It fluctuates, but it's pretty much based on the U.S. dollar, so it doesn't fluctuate much. So anyway, you have the U.S. dollar, and then you have the coop. So even though the it's tied, everything is priced in U.S. dollars. So so for for what's the conversion rate? What was the conversion rate when you were there? Was so for every one dollar you got, how much back? Yeah, this is a fixed thing, and it's twenty four. The official rate is 24. I think they're saying it might have gone 25, but I'm not 100% sure. 25 local pesos, you know, Cuban pesos to a dollar. So okay. if you went to the uh, Cadeca 
which is the uh, bank, either at the airport or at any of the little you know, kiosks, they will give you 25 local pesos to a dollar. But that is everything, the rate. but all of the products that you would buy there, food, uh, you know, travel, lodging, all of that stuff is, is based on the price of the dollar. So if uh, it, it's not the opposite conversion, right? So it would be like, let's say that the taxi drive is $4. It's a hundred pesos. Well, it, it's like this. The Cubans, let's talk about the Cubans themselves. If they want to buy a refrigerator, appliance, anything that's of any larger amount, they can't use coupes because it would cost too many coupes. I mean, you'd have to bring a, a you know a suitcase for, for some of the stuff that you need to pay for. So they have this other system that, from what I understand, foreigners can't have, but I know people that have had it. So again, I'm not even hundred percent sure. I wasn't able to get all the details I needed on this trip because I was quite busy with Elliot the whole time. So I try to kind of get this information and stuff when I could. So there's this debit card. There's the, there, they have this like debit card that Cubans can get. And instead of carrying a lot of uh, CUP around, they put it on there. And that card is in dollars. Even though it's a debit card, think of it as like a just a it's credit in card. US dollars. It's in U.S. dollars. So you need 24 or 25 coop to get one U.S. dollars. So the denomination on that card is in dollars. Because if you want to go to any appliance store, not food, but anything that requires larger purchases, it's all in dollars. So they have the dollars and they have the coop. You know, I'm not the smartest guy on the planet. And I will readily admit that, but I'm lost when it comes to this. Like this does like just this alone. You're right. This seems like a shit show. Wait, wait. I, I haven't even gotten halfway through this. This wait, is just wait, on the <laughs> currency thing. It wait, gets even more. more com- yeah, it's <laughs> even more complicated. So they have unofficial rates, oh, what they geez. call like a street rates, because Cubans are all desperate to use any amount of money they have to get the hell out of there. Um, so they're all looking for U.S. dollars. So if you knew Cubans or ventured, the street rate would be, let's just say, much higher than the official 24, you know, 25 coupe to a dollar. So I won't go into that because I don't encourage it because there is where I've, I've always said Cuba is a very safe country. There are no guns anywhere on the island and crime is probably the lowest of any country on the eastern hemisphere. Um it's still, you know, you know, they're 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 desperate and they need money, so um, they are willing to do anything to get money, and they were willing to pay more so they can have U.S. dollars. So U.S. dollars are a very coveted thing, since it seems like every Cuban's dream at this point—not every, of course, but most—are to leave the country, especially now. There was a period of time that they called the special period that a lot of people know about written in the books. And it was during the the time during the Cold War and with, you know, with Russia and they were hurting. The Cubans were hurting. They didn't have food. They they um, they were lacking in many things. And again, the the embargo, of course, amplified that. I can tell you, folks, that it's worse now and people are leaving in droves. The last big number of people leaving the country was during the Mariel boat lift. And there was 125,000 Cubans that came to the United States, immigrated into the United States. Well, this last year, there was over 155,000 
Cubans that have landed wow. on our shows and have stayed here. In the last couple months alone, there is 46,000 Cubans that have made it to our shores and are living here, waiting to get their green card so they could go back to the country. So Cuba, believe it or not, is all for it. Before, in order to get out of the country, you needed an exit visa. You had to have somebody show that they're willing to sponsor you so they could pay for you. It was quite difficult to leave out of the country to take a flight anywhere. You needed to have an exit visa. You had to have uh, this, that. So now there's certain countries that will allow Cubans to just basically buy a ticket and get on a plane and go. The one that seems to be the most popular right now is Nicaragua. So Nicaragua has no um, visa requirements for Cubans. Russia is another one, but not too many people are flying to Russia these days. Not to mention the flight is more expensive. Nicaragua, not that it's inexpensive. And to Cubans, it still represents a lot of money. So they all are now traveling to Nicaragua. And the and the uh, the meme and the thing that they all talk about and the, the big funny there is that all these Cubans, why are you going to Nicaragua? We're going to see the volcanoes. And so even the president of, of Nicaragua is on TV saying, oh, these Cubans are coming to see the volcanoes, the beautiful volcanoes we have. <laughs> so the, the reality is they're coming to Nicaragua with all their savings, and then they're making their way right up Central America through to Mexico and over to our borders and coming over and landing in the good old USA. Right. So, you know, along with, you know, the Mexican immigrants and I should say illegal aliens um, and all these other illegal aliens that are coming. I will say this, the Cuban people, I don't think are a drain on our society because they do work. I will say they're generally a very proud people and they're working and they've, and they've been a very good uh, sector of American citizens. I mean, they're, they're become, look at the, the Florida Cubans, you know, they're not only politically strong financially, they're all, you know, they become some of the better entrepreneurs, uh, you know, entrepreneurs out there and, and they're good workers. So it's, I don't see it as a drain and, but, you know, you add them to everything else. And uh, I don't know, it's, it's, it, it is a drain on the U S uh, economy at this point, especially, but it seems like we need workers. Nobody wants to work here either. But I don't want to talk about politics. <laughs> Let's get back to yeah. the Cubans that are leaving. So right. the currency is the other thing, right? So they, they all need U.S. dollars. They had this big currency uh, change. But here's the problem. The cab drivers, they used to be um, to leave the airport to get into the main city. The price would have been 20. If you can get somebody on the low side, maybe 20, 25, and they start asking for 30, sometimes more, but say 25 to 30 US dollars equivalent is what it would cost. So when you go, okay, if that's uh, $25, if, if you figure it out at the pesos, then it should be this much. Oh, no, no. They are like, well, you know, because the street rate is this. So it comes out to they still want, you know, um, more than that. So everything hmm. has gone up in price. Um, the cost of products have gone up, the availability. Here's where I was talking about that pandemic. So let's make, I mean, the uh, the trifecta. So the first thing that really has caused a lot of craziness and hardship, if nothing else changed, just the currency difference is making most Cubans head spin and of course, tourists. They You go to a cigar shop, 
you see price tags and I'm like, oh, this is Cuban pesos. This is, they're like, oh, no, no, that's US dollars. I'm like, US dollars. Why would it be marked in US dollars? You know, and it's like, and then they don't take US dollars, they take euro. I was going to, I was going to ask that. You can't take US currency into Cuba, can you? It's so funny. Everything is marked and yes, you can. And a lot of it's, it's very well desired by all Cubans, but even more desirable than dollars are euros. But the thing that cracks me up is if they'll, they'll say, okay, how much is this? Oh, it's 40, 40, what? 40 euro. I'm like 40 euro. What is it in dollar? Uh, okay. Give me $40. Cause they want the U S dollar, but they prefer the, the euro. Yeah. Euro. So they just prefer anything but their own currency because they want to leave. Cause there's Cause a mad exodus, a mad exodus going yeah. on right there. Everybody I know is either out trying to get out or trying to save money to get out. Everybody has a plan. Everybody knows when they're leaving. Okay. Everybody so- I've spoken to there wants to leave. And I mean, everybody, even the people that are well off. Okay. So you said it's the perfect storm because I want to get to that. Cause I want to know number one, how that's going to, in your opinion, affect uh, uh, the Cuban uh, uh, cigar production. And I also want to know how that's going to affect you and, and, you know, tours going forward. But first you said it's a perfect storm. So the currency is all kinds of just messed up and it is, it's confusing, not only to tourists, but to the people who live there, which if you live there and it's confusing, like that's a problem. Uh, so there's that, but then you said the perfect storm. So I'm going to assume that the next part of that is COVID. There's yes, that is a major part of it. There's actually a few elements, but the other big thing is the whole pandemic and COVID. So you take the currency thing out of the way, and then you have the pandemic that's affected the whole world. And in Cuba affected it even more here. We're having problems of getting things mainly like chips and, you know, so our cars are become, you know, 40, 50% more expensive um, because of our imports from China and other countries there, everything is imported. So, everything has become more expensive. So you have this crazy currency, then you have everything being just more expensive. And so what I was going to mention right before is that, okay, everybody's trying to leave Cuba, even the ones that are well off, because even if you have all the money in the world and are living in Cuba and just love being there, you can't buy anything. There's nothing, not to mention that everything has gone up crazy in, in, in pricing, everything, but you can't find it. And I'll give you this. This should hit home. I normally drink diet soda. It's bad habit, I know. And uh, but I drink a lot of it. So there they have this funky diet soda. Normally, the brand is called two cola. And I always have two cola dietetica, which is a white can versus their normal cola, which is red. So when I can find it, Two years ago, on a good day, I would buy as much as I could because there's not a lot of it to begin with. Well, I can assure you there's not one can on the island. The bottom line is the government is flat broke. They literally are producing nothing because they have no money. So not only am I not being able to get diet soda, but water, the basic necessities. Now, Cubans generally don't buy bottled water, but I don't think there's a tourist or a, a foreigner that should drink the water there because you're just not accustomed to the water and it can cause problems. So of course, all I ever bought was water, you know, and all the, the, like even 
years past for my tours, I would always make sure. And I would take me sometimes three, four days, maybe longer to have my guys go out and try to scur the island to try to find enough. And I'm talking cases of water so that the people on my tour have water to drink. Well, now there's like no water. Like I think I was able to buy like four bottles of water and a typical, you know, the larger bottles would be about a dollar prior to the pandemic, prior to me going there. Now in the local currency, it comes out to $4.80. So that's quite a bit of a joke. Almost 500%. Yes. And you can't find it. You know, Elliot and I were literally mainly Elliot, but he was doing all the work, poor guy. He was (laughs) boiling water, you know, and pouring it into these bottles that we had and putting in the refrigerator. So we had water to like brush our teeth with, if nothing else. I mean, we were going to dinner and okay. Beer seems to be a bit more prevalent. I've never seen this many different brands of beer because the local beer used to be Bucanero and, and uh, Cristal now none to be seen, but there's about four or five different imported beers, some Dominican beers, not Bel Presidente, because I did see that before and knew it. I never heard of these beers. I'm not a beer drinker, but if you wanted beer, you could buy beer, but it would be at the equivalent of about seven bucks a, a can when it used to be one. During the pandemic, friends would tell me it was $14, but when I what I saw was it came in at about $7 based on the CUP. So you could have beer, but I'm having dinner. Uh, they have no water. So I have the I have the choice of this little juice that like my son used to drink and these little things when he was two, right. you know, those little, little square containers we were talking about that you can squeeze oh, yeah. with your hand and it's like three gulps and it's gone um, or beer. So I didn't like either. So I would have my meals with no, with nothing to drink. Uh, and everywhere we went, every I'd say, hey, you got water. And occasionally I would find somebody that would have a bottle of water. And at any price, we were buying them. So we bought water. So this perfect storm of one, the pandemic, and you want anything from, from uh, onions. I remember our, our driver, when we were going to Pinar, there's people on the side of the road that are selling everything you can imagine. And they were like, oh my God, the prices are crazy. And I, I had nothing to compare. I've never bought Saboya in Cuba before, but they were like, can you believe this is five times the price? It's not double. Like you said, it's about five times the price of everything. Um, oddly enough, gas prices, I was checking on gas and gas prices are about the same as they were before. However, hmm. there's no gas. So, so they didn't raise the price. They didn't do that in the supply and demand thing. They just rationed it. So you want X amount? No, you're going to get this much and be happy. So they have no, you know, there's limited gas there, but the price has remained about the same. It's like a dollar twenty a liter or so. So it's almost the same price of what we're paying here, except they just, you know, they have odd evens, plates, and all the rationing that goes on with right. gas. Right. So so now we have the currency, we have the pandemic. So because of the pandemic, it caused another problem. There's no tourism. So the amount, the way people make money there, when I said, I mentioned that the country's broke. Well, there's two, the, the number one GDP for Cuba, people think it's cigars and that's not even close. Um, they think, oh, it's got to be tourism. They would be close, but not correct. That would probably be the number two. The number one GDP for Cuba, their biggest you know, way of collecting money 
is from remittances from Cuban Americans and family overseas. That's how the Cubans live there because they can't really live on a day-to-day basis on the normal salaries given by the government. So most most, uh, Cubans survive from family and friends overseas. So Trump kind of did away with that not too long ago. So now Cubans don't have ways. And there's other ways. There's ways to do it. You can go through Canada now. There's a company in in Spain. But again, that requires more fees. And so, yeah, it costs more, which means less gets into their pocket. So, But for a while, it was like almost impossible to get money there. So there's no money coming in. These people uh, have no money. The government has no money to pay people. They have no, they're, they're not doing anything. They're not producing anything. The, the government hotels, which you know, usually it's a 50-50 partnership. I can tell you the Emilia Cohiba, which was one of my favorite because I had a really nice cigar shop in there, Casa de Albanos. That's been closed for two years. And they wow. keep saying it's being renovated, but I don't see anybody there. I want to I, I want to really make sure that we hit this home with people because the day today that the, this podcast is being recorded, which is uh, the 12th of April, uh, 2022. Uh, U.S. inflation's at eight and a half percent, highest it's been since the '80s. And a, a gallon of milk is going to cost you in some places over five dollars. Uh, and and gas is you know between I think here in the Midwest it's like three fifty five, three sixty five a gallon may have gone up or down in the last couple of days. Uh, so it's not it, it's outrageous for us because you're like wow, like all the foodstuffs are 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 going up in price and it's like you said earlier the cars have, have gone up in price and even the housing has gone up in price and you, you know yeah sure you can sell your house now for an extra 60 70 80 grand for what you paid for it but now to buy a different house even of similar size and configure like you're still looking at that same uh inflation of you know 60 77 80 thousand dollars you're not making uh any money on selling a house right now uh, but people are doing it, and it's it's crazy. So, like those are the things that we deal with. But in in Cuba, yeah, it, like they're looking at 100, 200, 300, 400, 500 percent inflation on some items. They don't have a lot of products, and people are just generally they they want to get the fuck out. Is what they want. They are tired of living there, and they're doing their best. Now, you said everyone you talk to. And everyone you know wants out and they have an exit plan. They have a strategy to get out of Cuba. How does that affect your, you know, is it even feasible right now to do tours in Cuba to go back to doing what you were doing pre pandemic? Well, I'm supposed to meet with a group that is so desperately been, you know, pushing my hand. I have a few. They're like, we're ready. We're ready to go. And I keep saying, guys, it's not ready. So I'm actually going to meet with a group, a local group that wants to go. And I'm going to tell them, look, it would. Can you still go? Yes, Americans can still go. Um, There's not many things that are open. You know, there are government places. I didn't really venture out to too many of the private restaurants because they're more expensive, way more. But generally, that's where I like to eat at the private, uh, you know, Paladars. Um, I did go to my favorite government place. I hate to plug the government place, but there's a place <laughs> there called called El, El Hibe. And I just call it the chicken place. And if you've gone to Cuba, most people that have, 
it's literally the best chicken you can have. It's, it just reminds me of something here, like they call chicken Savoy. And it's just this great juicy, and it's all you can eat chicken, rice and beans, and uh, for about 25 bucks. So, you know, it's not cute. You know, it's, it's not cheap for Cuba, for, 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 but it's not like for an American, a $25 meal, you know, is not unreasonable. Right. Uh, oh, speaking of beans, that's the only place I was able to find beans. Like you go anywhere else, they'll have rice. Maybe they call it, you know. Uh, beans are pretty ubiquitous with, uh, I, I'm trying not to stereotype here, but pretty ubiquitous when you don't have money. Like you eat beans because they're cheap and they're plentiful. Not in Cuba. Not at the restaurant. Uh, you know, the government place had it, but, you know, they have what they call um, Rosa Moro. Uh, I think it's called a Moro, which is basically black beans. Like it's it's not black beans. It's like a black rice. I don't really like the way that that's prepared. I like white rice with beans on top with the black beans on top of it. But anyway, food there is difficult. Water is difficult. Um, there are some cigar shops that are open, many that are closed. I did see signs, shockingly enough, that there are tourists there. I saw a bus of all French tourists that came to a cigar shop. And I was like, oh, my God, they have tourists here. So I'm wondering how these guys are getting by. Um, it, are tours possible? Absolutely. Is it something that I would recommend now? No, not right now. You know, you mentioned the inflation rate. The official published rate is 79%. But I know people have told me, oh, it's more like two or 300%. And I have to say, it's a, they're absolutely right. It is uh, based on the official rate of the Cuban peso. It's that. So, yes, yeah, that's a bit different. You know, like I mentioned, a lot of the hotels are closed. Uh, everything is rationed. And what do people do for money there now when they're not getting remittance? Anything they can. And uh, does it affect the cigar production? Absolutely. One key area that I learned about is that now a lot of people are growing their own vegetables and some of them are selling them. Now, it, automatically, that's going to happen in the countryside. But I hear there's people in Havana that are doing it as well and selling their their uh, their vegetables. But in Pinar del Rio, oh, another story. Those that's farmland. But what's happening is our tobacco farmers would rather grow something they can eat and live off of than wait for the government to pay them for the tobacco that normally used to take a year. I don't know what they're doing now. So um, I don't know. I do know this, that what I was told is that the price has gone up in order for them to continue to, to produce these tobacco leaves. Now, maybe it's set from Habanos, which is a co-op, which is half owned by Altitis, which is a Spanish now owned by a Chinese company and half owned by Tabacuba, which is yeah. 100% owned by Cuba. Um, now, I don't have 100% confirmation of this because it was told to me by a farmer there. So we'll call this hearsay. You wouldn't, you wouldn't put this as evidence in a court of law. Yeah, no, I, I have a <laughs> funny feeling it's true, even though sure. it didn't, it did sound a bit crazy, but it makes sense. They used to pay the equivalent of five Cuban pesos for a one OHA, one big leaf, let's say wrapper leaf of uh, tobacco. Now they're paying 26, which is over a dollar, right? So it's like if 25 is a dollar 20. So they're starting to make really good money if that's the case. But they don't, there's nothing to buy with that money. 
Right. I mean, it helps to have the larger amount of money because if there is anything, you'll be able to buy it. Um, but yeah, it's tough. There's not a lot there. That's why everybody's leaving because even the well off. That's my next question then. Because okay, even the well off don't have anything, it sounds like. So if they're paying these farmers over a dollar for a leaf, uh, which I'm going to guess is the wrapper leaf. Yeah. But, the, but they're paying them over a dollar for this leaf. And there's nothing to buy. Are these farmers is like, is this their exit strategy? Oh yeah, sure. Fine. Like we wanted to grow crops. So, you know, we could, so we could eat and feed our family, but you know what? You're right. Give us, give us more money and then I'll just save it and buy a fucking ticket out of here. I mean, is that kind of the, do you think that's the thought process that these farmers are having? I don't know. Honestly, I don't think so because as much as I'm passionate and most people in the cigar business are passionate about cigars, it's in our blood, so to speak. It's in their blood too, you know? So I don't think they would leave, but you know, necessity is necessity. Anybody that was well off in Cuba is already gone. So, Mm. you know, the 46,000 that just came over the 155 in the last year, that's the wealthy, well-off Cubans that literally could pay for a ticket and come here through Nicaragua or what have you. So they're gone already. And I know a lot of people that are in Miami, Tampa, even some people in California. And I'm always surprised. Oh, he's gone. He's here. He's here. It's like, oh my God, it's becoming a reunion in the U.S. with all these Cubans that I know. <laughs> so they're they're already here. So the well-off for that. The next tier are the people that are saving and. I don't know what it costs for an airfare to Nicaragua um, from Cuba. I don't know what it costs to pay a mule to take you through Mexico. I don't know what it costs for a bus if they're not walking, but they are scraping whatever money they've saved for their entire life to come to the United States now because there is no other choice. I mean, it's difficult. They can't afford the food. Even if there was food, they're growing their own food. They're selling some of it so they can pay for the stuff that they need. So, yeah, right now is kind of a rough time for Cubans. How, how is this? And I don't know if you had a chance to to find out, but how is this perfect storm affecting tobacco letters? Because if people are going, I mean, in my mind, I, I always bring things back to cigars. So if people in the tobacco letters are are leaving and there's a lot of them leaving and they're going to Nicaragua. That makes sense because in Nicaragua, they could probably get a job at a tobacco layer there. Making- no, no, no. Here, here's the difference. Countries have, you know, employment things. You can't go to, to uh, Nicaragua without a working visa and get a job. I mean, we have like here in the U.S. what is known as under the table, right? I'm sure there's some of that, but... Really, the Nicaraguans are allowing the Cubans to come there visa-free so they can continue going to the U.S. to continue through Mexico. The Me- they just kind of letting the train go by, you know, and just letting everybody yeah, gotcha. go and everybody ends up. So I don't think even though their talents uh, could be used, you know, in Nicaragua or some of the other countries, um, I don't think that's what's happening right there. As far as how is it affecting the rollers? Well, the roller's main form of payment, other than their salary, which is minimal, is the fact that they get three to five cigars, depending on who you ask and which factory, a day. So they collect their three to five cigars a day. I think I've mentioned this in the other yes. uh, things I've done. They collect it. They get 20, 25. 
they get, we'll call them an agent to sell their cigars on the streets and then to tourists, the money to tourists that, that, that they no longer have. Right. So like, they're not getting paid anything. They're having, the, they get these cigars and hoping that tourism will come back. But in the, stir, in the current state of affairs that Cuba is in, that doesn't seem like it's likely. So what is the incentive for these rollers uh, to stick around the tobacco ladder? They have no choice because they can't leave. They don't have enough money to leave. If they had money, they would be gone. Most Cubans, the majority of Cubans do not have enough money to be able to take those flights. You know, the ones that take the, uh, you know, the, the boats, the rafts, you know, that you're taking your, your life into your hands every time, you know, you know how many people drown, you know, how many people they've fished out of the water and then they throw them back now, you know, but if you come through the border, somehow they kind of let you through, they give you money, even a couple hundred bucks. And then they start the process for your residency. You know, it's like, I, I, I know the wet foot, dry foot thing is over officially, during the Obama administration, but seems that they're still letting them in. I don't know if they're considered, uh, you know, political or whatever, but they're still letting them in. Um, and they're getting their green card. The, the, the goal for most Cubans is not to live in the United States. I don't believe that that's their goal. Their, bo- their goal is to be in the United States, get their residency so they can travel freely back and forth and maybe even work in the U.S. and then bring their money back to Cuba, feed the rest of their family, and have the, what they had in Cuba. Because that was a big change that happened before. If you left Cuba, you left everything behind. You got nothing. You left your house, and you never mm. could come back. You could come back, but you'd have nothing. Right. So now they allow you to leave, but you could still keep your house there. So the Cuban government figured, hey, more people that make money overseas, then they're going to bring it back to Cuba that's good for us. So they're allowing that to happen and people are coming back. And so there's more money and it started going that way. Like all these private restaurants and, and these uh, Casa Particulares, these houses that were for rent, people were really doing some nice things where they're decorating them. Nice. The restaurants were nice. There were literally people were flying back to Miami. You know, it's a short flight, but it seems like, uh, you know, <laughs> the other side of the world, but um, right. for a, literally a 45 minute flight, you could buy everything you wanted. If the, if the uh, price was right, you know, the airfare was right. They would buy all their materials, ingredients, food supplies, whatever they needed to use in that restaurant for that week uh, or that month or whatever. And they were making regular weekly trips. Now airfare prices have gone through the roof. They're, they got you coming and going. You're saying, could you go to Cuba right now? Yes, you could. But let me tell you, they just removed last Wednesday. Of course, four days before we went, they had a, which had to do is you had to have a PCR test to go there, you right. know, a negative test on top of your, your, um, your vaccination card. So the PCR test, if you didn't do it, ideally, you know, it was supposed to be within 72 hours. And I did mention, that was another thing that Elliot was ticked off about because I'm like, I think you're supposed to get a PCR test, Elliot. He's like, no, no, I have the requirements here of JetBlue, nothing about it. I'm like, okay. And then we got there. And of course, when we try to check in, it's like, oh, do you have your PCR test? Like, uh, so (laughs) there's a place downstairs for the very unreasonable rate of $159. You can get a PCR test. I mean, $159. What a racket. Each. Each. So you could get it for free from the CVS or 
wait till you go to the airport and pay $159. What a racket. Now, coming back to the U.S., we had that's another funny story. I mean, it was not so funny when we were there. So you have to have an antigen test to come back into the U.S. And you have to do it. The JetBlue requirement said within one calendar day before. Cuban said, no, has to be within 24 hours. There's like four or five spots in Havana where you can get it done other than the airport. And our flight was at 3 p.m., but every place closes at 2 or 3. So no place would do it for us. I'm like, well, if we have to wait, we're here. Can't we just get it? No, no, you have to come back after 3. But you're closed after 3. Well, that's beside the point. You keep And I'm like, so what are our options? So what is our option? We had to pay for uh, a taxi ride back to the airport the day before to get it done, to go back the next day. Now we could have gone that morning, but we had things to do and appointments that next day. So that wasn't an option. So we had to waste a half a day in the Uh, afternoon to go back and get our, our tests to, and then, you know, the cool, the only cool thing is it's the only place now that they accept American credit cards. Because it's something that was done for, I guess, humanitarian reasons or the U.S. government allows for credit. It's a $25 fee, but you can pay that with your American credit card. Right. I don't think Amex, but Visa MasterCard. So that was kind of interesting because I used to have a credit card that worked American-based credit card, but that was also changed um, by Trump. But anyway, um, it's a very interesting place, but right now, maybe not so much. When do you think, do you, do you see this changing anytime soon? I mean, it sounds like they're in pretty much dire straits and it doesn't, I get, it's not going to change anytime soon, at least. No, here's my prediction. If we stay the course and we don't have any new variants or any more hiccups with the pandemic, people are dying to go back there. Right. Of course, it, we could be on the brink now where there could be a huge influx within the next few months. And whether people will be happy is another story. But if with the same influx of people coming in, more money's coming in, which means they'll be able to buy more things, which, you know, it's a, it's a vicious cycle. So it could start going whereby, you know, the next two or three months to the summer, definitely by the fall, if again, no new variants, no other hiccups. Um, you know, the other thing that I have to mention about the, the pandemic Everybody in the island is wearing what I call a chin strap, but it's, you know, a mask. So everybody has to have a mask on, no matter where you go, who you are. I mean, we're talking, I never saw one-year-old babies wearing masks. And I'm like, what? I'm like, to me, that seems really a little overkill, these poor kids. But yes, literally every human being has a mask on their face, but it's, you know, down by their chin. And if a cop bothers you, you pull it up. You pull it up. You know, I... I purposely didn't wear one because I just wanted to see who was going to say something to me. And they kind of leave you alone. Like the police there, maybe I was kind of a dick about it, but I purposely wasn't wearing one just to see if somebody would tell me to, and I was smoking my cigar every, that's one thing about me in Cuba. You see me in Cuba. There is always a lit cigar in my hand. That is my thing. Everybody that knows me there is used. If they didn't see me with a cigar, they would wonder. So I'm smoking cigars and it's hard to smoke a cigar with a mask. So literally I'm just uh, smoking all over the island, but the general feel, this is what was so sad. Like people just, you know, it wasn't that happy bustling place that I'm used to seeing, you know, they did have a concert, some 
rapper, some Cuban rapper, and was literally right by where I was staying in the street, you know, off of La Rampa, the main drag uh, in all, in the uh, central Havana. And there was, it should have been, you know, thousands and thousands of people in the street, like they've had these concerts in the past. And there was uh, hundreds of people in the street, mm. you know, which was a lot, but it was the overall feeling was just one of being down and everybody was kind of down. You talk to them. They're like, yeah, man, I'd already be gone. If I had some money, I'd be in Nicaragua right now. We're on my way to the U S I mean, anybody you spoke to on the street, that was the general response that you got. And now the people that work for the government that have to say the government things, whether they are really drinking the Kool-Aid or it's just lip service. I only know that I spoke to a few of them because they were assigned to us. Now, what I didn't know is that, you know, when I brought Elliot there, we had to go there under a journalistic visa, which is a whole different set of rules and stuff. We had a hoops we had to jump through. I wasn't aware that, you know, the Cuban government hates the BBC, you know, now, now they won't say this, <laughs> but apparently they do. And I, and I said to Elliot, I go, geez, did you know that? He goes, well, he goes, it doesn't surprise me because, you know, we did get thrown out of uh, China for yeah. reporting all the, and I'm like, oh, I didn't know that. So like, am I going to be able to come back to Cuba now, Elliot? You know, like, you know, it was like, oh man, maybe this was a bad idea on my part because I make it very clear to the, to the government people there, the ones that are following me, the ones that are assigned to me, uh, just anybody. Look, I'm here for cigars. I'm not here to circumvent or overthrow your government. I'm not right. here to talk bad. I keep politics out of it. My personal feelings and thoughts are my own, and I'm there to just enjoy Cuban cigars. And I keep all that to myself other than what I need to do to be in your country and not have problems. And I think that is the main reason why 14 years later, I'm still allowed there. And uh, they know, look, I'm there. Uh, my religion is cigars here. My politics is cigars. Nothing else matters. And I don't get involved. You know, I, maybe Elliot would like to tell a story where he was talking, telling one guy and they're talking about the Ukraine and he brings up, oh, what do you think of Putin? I'm like, oh, boy. Oh, here we go. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, and it was a government guy. And I'm like, uh, and then he was trying to get me involved. I'm like, no, no, I'm staying out of the politics. You know, nope, nope, don't talk about that one. I was just talking cigars. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. But, you know, uh, yeah, the government people were we had um, we were there and we had literally interviewed 11 different lectors. And uh, one cool one was a guy that was retired. It took us three hours to find him. And that was you know, it was like a scene in a movie. We were laughing how, far, how hard it was to find in these dirt roads in, in, in uh, San Luis, uh, in the Pinar uh, del Rio province. And it was comical when we finally found him. And uh, he was 87 years old. He actually used to read in the army. He was part of the uh, Bay of Pigs. You know, he wasn't, he was reading to the soldiers or whatever. I mean, and he was in such good shape. I mean, we were like, holy Christ, this guy's 87. He looks not a day over seven. He's like, oh yeah, I do exercise in my, in my uh, you know, yard up here. And he looked great. He was, wow. uh, I was like, oh my God, for 87. Island life. But, you know, one thing, uh, these guys all love what they do. They love reading. Um, you know, I don't know yeah, necessarily if they love cigars, but they love reading. Hopefully we'll get Elliot uh, on the show to kind of give us a, a non uh, cigar smokers perspective. And maybe that'll be a special episode. Uh, I've already reached out to Elliot. We'll see what his schedule looks like and if I can make that happen.
Uh, but before we get out of here, Nick, um, in this special episode, uh, you know, Cuba now, uh, when based on everything you saw and you, you know, you've said that maybe in a couple of months by the fall, for sure, as long as COVID stays doing what it's doing, uh, that you, you know, things might get a little bit better. When we, when are you thinking you're, you're going to go back, check things out and, and really start to try to make those connections again, to do these tours and, and, and all of that. What, what's that look like for you? Well, uh, 100% I will be going back in September because Habanos has every intent to have kind of a interim Habanos festivals for, for people, uh, for people that don't know, they have an annual since the year 2000, a Habanos festival every late February, um, which they announce all their new cigars. They do the dinners. They bring people from all over the world there. They have an actual fair. Um, it's a great fun week. It's my, you know, for me, November during the Partagas Festival and during February, the, the Habanos Festival is my absolute favorite time of the year to be in Cuba, because as much as I'm there with my Cuban friends, it's really all my cigar friends from all over the world. Um, I have a good group of friends from the UK that uh, I love hanging out with and all over Europe and all over the Middle East. And uh, even I have Indian and even Chinese friends, they're all cigar smokers. And, you know, I've made the the statement before that, uh, you know, cigars transcends, uh, you know, any type of boundaries, socioeconomic uh, right. backgrounds. It's just, we're all about the cigar and um, you know, from all you name the country, I got friends in that country and it's all because of Cuba. Cuba is the center point and they all share the same love uh, for Cuba that I do. And it's just, just fond memories. I, I literally just love going during that time. So they're doing it in September because I guess they don't want to wait till next February. Cause it's been way too long. Cause they've it's already missed yeah. They've already missed one festival. And then now this was the second one. So it's been too long in September. They're planning on doing uh, nothing official has been released as of yet, but uh, they told me that it's going to be kind of like a mini festival. They'll have the gala dinners and some of the things, but it won't be a full blown festival, but you know, they'll make the announcements to get the things out. So that's supposed to happen in September. And I will be there to cover the Habanos festival as uh, media, as I always do, and come back and share my information with anybody who's willing to listen to it. So September for sure, but will I go before that? It's possible. Um, it's possible I will go back in a couple months to take another barometer reading because I literally have so many people that want to travel there. And I'm like, look, maybe I should make them sign some kind of waiver. Like if you have the shittiest time of your life, you can't blame me. <laughs> I told you now's not the time. Uh, you know, I mean, if I can make them have a, a good time, I'll be able to make them have a good time because I'll find where and how and what to do. And there's always where there's a will, there's a way. It's just harder sure. and definitely more expensive. Yeah. And if you can't bring them back, if you can't bring cigars back, I mean, I, I'm I'm trying to figure out what, what the point is. Like, if I, Well, I, here's the point. You, you, you're smoking cigars in the best venue in the world, from, in my opinion. There's just on your bucket list, having a cigar on the uh, veranda terrace of the National is just no experience like it. Being in just yeah. some iconic spots and having a cigar. Cigars are not just about the experience of the cigar. It's where you are, who you're with. It's, sure. it's everything. It's the atmosphere. And it just, they just taste better over there. And, you know, when you're with good friends or new friends or people that uh, you've never met before, it's, 
it, it's just a wonderful place to enjoy a cigar. And, um, you know, I get it. Not being able to bring them back is a big bummer. Um, but at least you get to smoke them while you're there. And uh, that's a fair point. You sold me, Nick. You've sold me. Let's go. <laughs> Let me ask you this. Because uh, I want to close on, on I, uh, what I'm hoping is a fun note, but it, it doesn't sound like it was fun at the time. I understand from uh, what you were saying earlier that you almost died in a car accident, taxi accident. Like what was, well, what, hey, what was that? Maybe, maybe died is a bit dramatic, <laughs> but let me tell you, that car was going to flip. I've been, <laughs> I've been there and I've been in countless taxis and, and I think Elliot will have a whole new perspective to it. He was sitting in the back seat and I'm in the front and the driver's driving. And normally on the road to Pinal de Rio, it's about a two hour drive. Um, nobody really goes super fast. They're usually going about 60 miles an hour if they're in classic cars, less. So we were in a relatively new uh, Chinese vehicle. They call them the Geelys. Uh, they're what they're using for cabs these days over there. Sure. And this guy was flying, man. He was doing like 130, 140 kilometers when generally people are driving about 90 to 100. So I'm like, man, this guy's going to make some good time, you know? So he's flying down the road, you know, any car that's in the left, any horse and buggy that's in the, in the, you know, he's like making a move over. <laughs> so at one point, you know, he's in, you know, he's in the left lane. There's a car in front he's coming on it real fast and I'm watching him. And generally people tend to get over. And if they don't, he goes, passes on the right. Well, I was watching and I'm like watching and I, I waited just a bit longer than I should have. And eventually I just grabbed his leg and I'm like, yo, and he literally cut the wheel at, I, I think with, you know, I, I'm glad I have a witness because Elliot was there. I mean, it was inches away from this guy's bumper and he pulled to the side and went around. And then Nelly and I go, you know, we were going to hit that guy. And he's like, oh, yeah. I said, well, we probably we he goes, I think we could have died. I said, well, maybe we could have flipped the car. Maybe <laughs> I thought we did have our seatbelts on. But, you know, it is a Chinese car. You, you never know. And I remember looking at this guy. I'm like, dude. Were you sleeping? He's like, oh, no, 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 no. I'm like, what the hell? Like, I didn't have, I was staring at the car bumper in front of us, so I didn't look at his face, but I don't know what he was thinking. Literally, we were going to bump right into the back of this car, you know, at a, at like, you know, 70, 80 miles an hour, about 80 miles an hour. Um, and that was like, holy Christ, that's never happened before. <laughs> but yeah. Ask Elliot about almost dying, you know, get his, his, his uh, side of that story. Yeah, I can't wait. I can't wait. Yeah, he'll have interesting. He'll have interesting insight from a not like I said, a non um, cigar guy and and a guy that you know has seen Cuba for the first time. He's he has been there one time before, but this was a whole new look for him. So yeah, I'm, I'd be, be listen. I'll listen to the show. That's for sure. Yeah, no, I think it'll be good uh, to have somebody from you know come in and have a journalist's perspective and an author's perspective. Uh, and and not just the cigar uh, perspective, because, I you know, I think just based on uh, what you've said here, like he went in uh, with his politics in hand. And I don't know how well that works from a tourist perspective. Like if you if you visit a place and you have your politics with you. And they are diametrically opposed to what your politics normally are, how, how good of a time are you really going to have? So, yeah, 
that's an interesting question or way of thinking about it. But yeah, so I mean, I I think going in with those presuppositions um, may have may may have may have impacted. It'll be interesting to see if he if he shares that assessment. And hopefully, we'll get him on the show, and, and that'll be a special episode in between uh, this episode and the next episode, which will will uh, ask Nick to come back, uh, co-host of this sub series on Cuban cigars, where we actually are going to really dig into the history. Of Cuban cigars. Uh, are you ready for that, Nick? Ready. <laughs> He's like, I'm ready. Let's do it now. No, we're not going to do it now. Uh, that'll be the uh, the next episode. Nick, Cirrus, thank you so much. Uh, you know I appreciate you coming on and talking all things Cuban cigars. Guys, go check. Uh, uh, give him a follow. Instagram at LH Cigars. Um, go to LHCigars.com. Uh, you can click the contact uh, form there and get a hold of Nick if you want to... Uh, uh, inquire about his cigars, inquire about uh, going to Cuba, inquire about going to Costa Rica, inquire about anything. Nick is the guy. Uh, and all of this will be in the show notes as well. Nick Cirrus, LH Cigars. Thank you so much. All right. That's going to do it for us. Thank you guys so much for listening. Join us next time where we'll talk about the history of cigars. Until then, stay smoky, friends. Thank you for listening to Simply Stogies. Visit simplystogies.com for the latest articles and reviews. Subscribe to our YouTube channel for the latest in video content, and please rate and review Simply Stogies on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. You can follow James on his cigar journey on Instagram at Simply Stogies Podcast, all one word, and on Twitter at the Twitter handle at Simply Stogies. If you have a question or suggestion for James, or would like to be on the show, please send an email to info at simplystogies.com. The views and opinions expressed by James and his guests are their own and do not reflect those of Creative Brain Candy or their affiliates.